Well, good morning, everybody. My name is Tyler Johnson, and I just want to tell you uh, how proud I am to be a part of this congregation, uh, to hear stories like that and see how we, which in many ways is every one of you, um, continue to weave fabric of friendship across our city, across our country, and across the world. I also want to just say how thankful to God I am. Um, I had a mentor of mine probably about a decade ago um, open my eyes to the reality of what's happening in the world and happening in our cities, and he said, God is bringing the nations to our cities. He's bringing the globe to our cities. So it's even happening in Malawi and it's happening in Phoenix is that there are people moving here that when we have this posture of friendship, because God in Jesus has called us friends, that we make friends with people and then just open our eyes and our willingness to what God may want to do. He extends our influence way further than we would have ever imagined. This same church. Redemption Gilbert um, has done a lot in the Central African Republic. Um, as you've seen, we do things in Alaska. There's incredible things happening throughout um, our city, not because of our greatness, but through the power of God, through simple acts of obedience, of trying to love our neighbors as ourselves. Um, here's a simple line of that that I'm going to pray God does more of, is that we can't love our neighbors if we don't know our neighbors. So the power to open ourselves up um, to new things and great things God would do, um, we continue to ask. So I'm just saying, well done, Redemption Gilbert, and I'm going to pray for a minute that God does more of it and even does stuff in us right now. God, Father, we ask you for the Holy Spirit. Um, we thank you for the great gifts that you continue to give, of which you tell us every good dad wants to give good gifts to his children. But how much more will you give the Holy Spirit to those who ask. So we ask you this morning for your Holy Spirit. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen. Well, how is Christmas shopping going? Done. Wow, done. That's impressive. There's one person in this room whose Christmas shopping is done. Um, I had a friend of mine, I was looking uh, the other day at um, in Insta Story, that's Instagram Story, I clicked it and my friend put up this meme and it made me laugh. So my holiday shopping list, my husband's holiday shopping list. So the wife's list is, she's got to get a present for mom, dad, brother, sister, child one, child two, and our family child three, four, grandma, grandpa, nephews, nieces, teacher one, teacher two, teacher's aide, secret Santa, neighbor, husband, and the dad's list, get a present for my wife, right? That is so real at so many levels, and it speaks to this truth as we prepare for Christmas in our country and the way a lot of it is, is little things like that can build up inside of people. It can build resentment, and it can build bitterness, and it can build grudges. And so this is why many times people want to talk about the United States of how materialistic Christmas is, which is totally true. Um, but at the root of the joys and the conflicts of Christmas is always relationships, right? At the root of all of the joys and all of the conflicts of Christmas is always relationships. But that's not just true about Christmas. That's true about life. The greatest joys and the greatest sorrows in life always have to do with relationships, 
If I right now had all of us do an exercise in this room and I had you get out a piece of paper and put a line through the middle of it and I said, reflect for a minute and just in simple statements, write down the greatest joys of your life, past, present, and what you think will be the greatest joys in the future. And I say I gave you 10 minutes to do it and you wrote them all down, which is a good exercise. I would almost guarantee you every one of those joys in the past and in the present are centered in relationships. These times you had with your family, these times you had with your friend, this amazing vacation you had with people, these people you met. Just the other day, I was sitting with a, a longtime member of this church, Dan Moon, who's a longtime leader in this church, and he was speaking about his travels to Alaska, that many of you have watched videos about what this church does in Alaska, but he couldn't talk without getting tears in his eyes. And he got tears in his eyes because he spoke about the kids, the relationships that were cultivated and the laughter that he would have as he told me the stories were always related to people. Now, at the bottom half of that list, I said, write down your greatest sorrows in your life. And I gave you the same amount of time. Many of you would write down divorces, death, Sorrows of division that happen through relationships, the loss of a job. The greatest joys and the greatest conflicts in life always have to do with relationship. The greatest joys and sorrows in life, joys or sorrows, always, always, always have to do with relationship. And one of the things that brings about deep amounts of ongoing sorrow Deep, deep amounts of ongoing anguish and conflict in relationship and conflict in our very souls is a lack of forgiveness. There's an incredible connection in the Bible between forgiveness and peace. And we're celebrating Advent, and in this Advent series, we're speaking to this reality of peace on earth that comes in Jesus. And the amazing part about speaking about the peace that comes on earth in Jesus is it is that grand. He's speaking about bringing peace to the whole world. But in the midst of that, he's also speaking about bringing peace to communities, bringing peace to families, bringing peace to marriages, being peace within yourself. And the Bible speaks about this over and over and over again because the Bible speaks about Jesus over and over and over again. And the reality of our internal conflict, our internal anguish is directly related to our lack of forgiveness. I want to read um, a passage in the book of Colossians, and then I want to give us a little exercise to do together. So Colossians chapter 3, verses 12 to 14. If you want to open your Bible, um, Pastor Paul Artino exhorted us the other day that when we can to bring physical copies of the Bible, or you can pull out your phone. The power of physical copies of the Bible is you begin to remember parts of where the Bible is. But this is Colossians, which is in the New Testament, chapter 3, verses 12 to 14. God, through the Apostle Paul, says this, Therefore, as God's chosen people, holy and dearly loved, clothe yourselves with compassion, kindness, humility, gentleness, and patience. 
Bear with each other and forgive one another. If any of you has grievance against someone, forgive as the Lord forgave you. And over all these virtues put on love, which binds them all together in perfect unity. Now, I asked them to put verse 13 in bold because I'm going to read it again. I'm going to read verse 13 in bold, and then we'll come to this in, verse, in bold because I want to read it again and then go to this phrase that's going to come up next. Bear with each other and forgive one another if any of you has a grievance against someone. Forgive as the Lord forgave you. Now, here's the exercise. In this passage and in a passage we're going to look at in a minute in Ephesians chapter 4, here's the phrase that's striking. Forgive as the Lord forgave you or forgive as Christ has forgiven you. When we get here early in the morning and there's many of us here, people will be like, how do you feel? You know, which is basically a way to say like, did you prepare at all? Because this could go bad. There's like thousands of people showing up and if you have nothing to say, that would be bad. That's the way they do it. So I was saying to Paul, I said, honestly, this passage, I feel like I could take this fundamental thread of Colossians 3 and Ephesians 4, which is all throughout the New Testament of the Bible, and just put this phrase on the screen and say to everybody, hey, if you don't want to spend that much time, at least spend 15 minutes right now and contemplate that phrase. Contemplate it. Let your contemplation take you into meditation, which means just churn it over in your mind and then begin to pray and ask God to drive it into your soul. Spend at least 15 minutes, or you can take the whole time, sit in this room, spend all 30 minutes and do this. Now, I'm not about to do that because you guys would all be like, I could have done that at home. But we are going to do it for a couple minutes. And I'm going to ask you to do just what I said. Look at that and then allow whatever questions to bubble up to bubble up. Ask God to begin to apply it, but focus on the exhortation, forgive, and then the way is as Christ has forgiven you. So I'm going to give you 120 seconds. How many minutes is that, folks? Two minutes. It's going to feel like an eternity. Contemplate this, meditate upon it, and pray, and then I'll come back, pray, and we'll make a couple observations. Okay, we're going to pray. Father, I just pray that <clears throat> you would speak to ways that we can really sense. Um, God, I pray that you would speak to our minds and you would speak to our desires. God, you would speak to our pains. Um, you would speak in personally in very powerful ways. God, I pray that you would open us up to the power and the freedom that comes through forgiveness. And so, God, let us see how you've forgiven us. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen. Okay, honest confession. How many of you guys counted seconds? So here's what happens in a moment like that. One is we're just dealing with the nature of it getting quiet and dealing with time. But when you're, when you're looking at that, the first command, forgive, all of these questions begin to bubble up in all of us. What does forgiveness mean? 
Have I actually forgiven? Should I really forgive? Does this guy on the stage even understand my actual story? Does he understand how much I actually lost? Has he experienced the anguish, conflict, turmoil, horror that I've experienced through what has been done to me? I don't know in specific. I do know this, that we all definitely, definitely have a story to tell. And I want you to understand, I know this. I've been around long enough and I've sat with many of you and so many of other people. I know there are real stories here and I know some of them get absolutely horrific. I know many people in this room, no matter how old you are, had parents that didn't act like parents. Some of you never spoke to a dad or to a mom or to both of them. Others of you's parents you've lost and you wonder why and you're frustrated about that. Others of you had parents who were present but were horrible. There's physical abuse involved in many of your stories. Others of you, it gets beyond parents and some of you have been raped, have been physically abused. Others of you have lost years and years because of a decision somebody made just to get at you. Some of you have been silenced, others of you have been ignored, and the stories go on and on and on, and the deepest sorrows in life have to do with people. They have to do with relationships, and it is absolutely horrific. Others of you in this room have been horribly harmed by the church itself, people who are the closest to you or you should have been able to trust the most, maybe a a school teacher. Offenses are endless because sin is real. Trust gets breached because people think more about themselves than they think about other people. I understand the stories, and at the same time, I want to tell you, the power in this message, which is not in the words of me, of Tyler Johnson, but in the words of the living God of the universe, the power to heal that comes out of this message is profound. The power that comes about when you experience peace that comes from actual forgiveness is mind-blowing. It is life-changing. It can set a whole new course. It can literally, doctors say, bring about physical healing. There's a book that I um, have referred to quite a bit as I prepared for this and has been very personally beneficial to me, and I'm going to put it on the screen. It's a book by R.T. Kendall called Total Forgiveness. The subtitle of it, if you can't see it directly, says, when everything in you wants to hold a grudge, point a finger, and remember the pain, God wants you to lay it all aside. This is an incredible book, and in this, it's referred to, and I've heard of this, but there are doctors who are giving it out because they're going at people and seeing over and over and over again that all of the evaluation medically, physically speaking, body scans, brain scans, medication given cannot heal so many people who hold a grudge, who choose to hold on to resentment, who don't forgive. Forgiveness has the power to bring peace in every way, relationally, emotionally, physically, and spiritually. This connection between 
Christ, the Holy Spirit, forgiveness and peace is so clear in the Bible. Not just in Colossians chapter three, but in Ephesians chapter four, the same author, Paul, writes this. Do not let any unwholesome talk come out of your mouths, but only what is helpful for building others up according to their needs, that it may benefit those who listen. And do not grieve the Holy Spirit of God with whom you were sealed for the day of redemption. Get rid of all bitterness, rage, anger, brawling and slander, along with every form of malice. Be kind and compassionate to one another, forgiving each other just as in Christ God forgave you. Sounds a lot like Colossians, right? Like virtually almost identical with a couple different words. The words in bold, I'm going to read again as I did last time. Be kind and compassionate to one another, forgiving each other just as in Christ God forgave you. Now, I want to make an observation about that passage. We're speaking in this Advent series about peace coming on earth in Jesus Christ. We spoke some weeks ago about the Holy Spirit. I actually taught on the Holy Spirit in particular, and I said that there was this very wise spiritual man who looked at me, um, looked at a room of people, it wasn't at me, I heard this story, but looked at a room of people when an older woman asked him, what do you think the Holy Spirit is saying right now? And this was an older man in his 80s, and he was hunched over, and he got a lot of energy in him when she asked the question. He says, there's three things you can do with the Holy Spirit. You can quench him. You can grieve him, which is the passage that comes out here. And then he said, or, and he did this with his hands, or you can let him have his way. The Holy Spirit is God who brings about peace when you let him have his way. And he says what blocks peace is that which grieves the Holy Spirit of God. Now, from this passage, what do you think it is that grieves the Holy Spirit of God? Unwholesome talk. Bitterness. Rage. Anger. Brawling. Slander. Summarize. A lack of forgiveness. So when all these questions bubble up in you, when you hear this phrase, forgive each other just as in Christ, God forgave you, I want to just take a little bit of time to ask about what forgiveness is and what forgiveness is not. Because we're clearly being commanded to forgive and we're being commanded to forgive as Christ forgave us. Now in short... How did Christ forgive us? Well, Christ forgave us unequivocally. Is there a question about Christ's forgiveness? There isn't because of the sufficiency of his atonement. He forgave us unequivocally. He forgave us unconditionally. He forgave us consciously. He knew it. He knew what we'd done against him. He forgave us without endorsing sin. So let's move through this a bit and say this. I know this. Forgiveness is a choice. Now, I also know when I say that, a lot of us don't like that, and it doesn't feel like that because forgiveness is incredibly hard. Forgiveness is terribly painful, but even in saying it's terribly hard, and incredibly painful. Forgiveness is a choice. 
holding on to bitterness, rage, and anger, being a fighter, speaking words of slander is a choice. Forgiveness is a choice. So what does forgiveness look like? Well, forgiveness is a choice to be aware. In order to forgive as Christ forgave us, he forgave us consciously. He knew our sin in ways we didn't even know it. Sin is conscious and it's unconscious. He knew all of it and he was conscious of what we didn't know that we were doing that was sinful and what we knew we were doing that was sinful. He knew it all and in a very real way, sin is against God primarily, even as it's against other people, against our spouses, against our family. It's conscious. Real forgiveness is a choice to be aware of it. You can't just go, you know what I'm going to do? I'm going to act like that didn't happen. You can't act like it didn't happen and call it forgiveness. Forgiveness mandates you recognize the wrong. Forgiveness mandates we acknowledge the pain. Forgiveness means we take long enough, as hard as it is, and we look at it and we are conscious of what actually happened. Now, let me say this again because I've said it probably five times now, but I want you to hear me as I slow down. Forgiveness is unbelievably painful. And when we try to avoid the pain of forgiveness, we hold on to bitterness. And we think that by holding on to bitterness, we'll have more control over the person. But in fact, we just imprison ourselves deeper. We create more internal turmoil, more internal conflict. And as your body, your very self holds onto that, it begins to manifest itself. Your feet begin to hurt. Your head begins to hurt. You have all kinds of anguish and there has to be an outlet for it. And all of those outlets for it begin to be spoken of here as rage and anger, brawling and slander. But forgiveness is a conscious decision to be aware. Forgiveness and love in the Bible are inextricably linked. Forgiveness and love. Love doesn't erase memories. If you think positively, love keeps memories, right? That's why I have Google Photos on my phone and it says, two years ago today, this. Three years ago today, this. And every time they come up, I pop my wife a picture of what our kids used to look like. Right? And I may look at myself like, that's what you used to look like? Good Lord. Um, that looks way better than now. But that's the power of love keeping memories. But love also doesn't erase memories. Fundamentally, because it can't. You remember these awful things. And what that does when we look at it is it creates a greater opportunity to display love by dispensing grace. It's an opportunity to dispense greater grace. It's an opportunity to be more dependent. It's a massive opportunity to look within yourself. But true forgiveness is not turning your head and acting like it didn't happen. True forgiveness is awareness. At the same time, when you look at it and you understand that you will be conscious of it, it has to have an outlet, right? It develops in you as you look at it, these feelings of anger, 
And the Bible's really interesting when it talks about anger because the Bible actually tells us at times, like, don't hold on to anger, don't let the sun go down on your anger. But then it, Paul says, actually, be angry and don't sin. Because there are things that happened in your life to you and happened to people you love that should conjure up a righteous indignation, a righteous form of like, that's wrong. But there's sinful anger, be angry and don't sin, which is what this is speaking of, that's bitterness and rage and anger. So forgiveness, as it acknowledges this, it sees the pain, actually makes a choice to keep no record of wrongs. So if you're sitting here right now, and as you took those two minutes and reflected upon forgive as Christ forgave you, and if right now you're going, did I forgive? And as you're evaluating yourself, you acknowledge, I do keep a record of wrongs. And I really don't want to release those records or record of wrongs. You have not forgiven if you love creating the tally system, well, they did this and it affected me like this and this and this and this, or you always do that and you keep this tally of a record of wrongs so that you may always be able to say, see, you're on the wrong side and I'm at least more on the right side. You have not forgiven. Love is aware, but it doesn't intentionally keep a record of wrongs. It doesn't choose to point the finger. It chooses to open its arms. It chooses to release these things, not in the air, but to God, and to open our arms towards one another. Love is a choice, as is forgiveness, and it's a choice to see no record of wrongs. It clearly sees it, but it releases it to God so that it won't get, or so that it gets released from being lodged in our hearts. Put away, get rid of all bitterness. Clothe yourselves with compassion. There's an active working this out and a choice to do it. It's also a choice to refuse to punish. So oftentimes, we say these things, we keep a record of wrong, and then we articulate them to people because ultimately what we're trying to do is punish that person. I'm gonna put them in their place. I'm gonna let everybody know ultimately what they did. I'm gonna go after and after, but in the end, who your displaying is most owned by their actions is not them, but you. You're also recognizing how quickly we all, how quickly Tyler Johnson and you forget how Christ has forgiven us. He's conscious of what we did, but he doesn't keep a record of wrongs and he doesn't continually communicate to us. You remember when you did this? Remember when you did this? The devil does that. Our sinful side does that. God doesn't do that. True forgiveness keeps no record of wrongs and it's a choice to refuse to punish. Why? Because if need be, God will. That's what Romans 12, the same author who wrote Colossians and Ephesians, Paul wrote in verse 12, don't repay evil for evil. For vengeance is mine, I will repay. Here's the thing, God's a really good judge. You're a really bad one. God's a really good, really good judge, like a perfect judge. I'm not, I'm a horrible judge. My judgment is clouded by my own confusion, my own lack of information, 
my own sin. My judgment is clouded by my selfishness, by all of my limitations, by all of my smallness and frailties. God is all-powerful. God is all-knowing. God is without sin. He's a great judge. We're horrible judges. And he says, horrible things happen in the world. I see it in depths you don't see it. Leave it to me. You forgive and you refuse to punish. Let me ask you this question quickly. Why do you think we so bad want to keep a record of wrongs and we want to place ourselves in the seat of judgment? Why do we, do we desire so bad to punish, whether it's with our tongues or with slander or with holding on? Because that's even as we hold on to bitterness and rage, it's a desire ultimately to punish. Why? Here, let's be honest, because honestly, you don't think they're going to get what they deserve. <laughs> Our greatest fear is that they get off the hook. So at a deep level, our desire to punish and our desire to punish through holding on to rage, holding on to bitterness, keeping a record of wrongs and communicating it to people is honestly a really a lack of faith. We don't believe God's that good of a judge and you're convinced you can judge better. But you know, in the book of Romans, one of the, my favorite ways personally to understand how sinful I am is when Paul says, you who judge yourselves do the very same things. You judge these people for saying horrible things to you. You judge these people for treating you awful. You judge these people for ignoring you. You judge these people for not being conscious of how much they've harmed you, yet you are not conscious of how you harm people. You have intentionally done bad things to other people in order to save yourself. You yourself, in your very judgment, are proving that you do the very same things. Leave it to God. He's far better at it. And it's far too great of a weight for you or I or us to bear the weight of being the judge. So that means... Forgiveness is a choice to not continually speak about and tell about what the other people have done. Now, let me pause for a minute here and step back and go, forgive as Christ has forgiven you. He let us off the hook, folks. He forgave our sin. He forgave the sin of the bad things we did that we know we shouldn't have done. He forgave all of the sin of the things we know we should do that we didn't do. He forgave us of the sin we knew about and the sin we didn't know about. He forgave us at infinite cost to ourselves. So when we sit and we wrestle and we go, this is so painful to look at what other people have done for me and you're calling me to forgive, he goes, I love you. And believe me, if anybody knows how painful forgiveness is, I do. And this is where there's this passage in Hebrews that's so amazing that says, for the joy set before him, Christ endured the cross. 
for the joy set before him that Jesus went to the cross, somewhat acknowledging the horror that was about to come about, the pain that forgiveness necessitated. And he said, there's a joy in forgiveness. There's a release in forgiveness. There's a restoration in forgiveness. There's a completion in forgiveness. There's a dealing with the internal rage that exists in us when we don't forgive in forgiveness. There's something deep about God who holds the universe together in his very self about when we forgive, we experience peace. Peace. There is a joy at this moment when you go, I don't know what all this looks like. I have so many questions. I don't know what forgiveness looks like and forgiveness doesn't look like. He's saying, just take the next step. Just take the next step and make a choice to be aware of it. Make a choice to refuse to punish. Make a choice to refuse to keep records of wrong. Make a choice to continually forgive. This is a a really interesting one. You know, in Matthew 18, there's this really... um, kind of famous um, passage, which my bet is a lot of you, even if you haven't been around the Bible much, um, have heard about this. But there's this scene in Matthew 18 where Peter comes to Jesus and he says, Lord, how many times shall I forgive my brother or sister who sins against me? Up to seven times? It's like this big number. Why do you think Peter went to Jesus and asked him about forgiving? Because he was like you. He struggled forgiving. (laughs) So he's going, hey, you're kind of wise. You're this great teacher. Like this is the same Peter who later, you know, Jesus is like, who do you say that I am? You're the Christ, son of the living God. He's struggling forgiving and he goes, how many times should I forgive to those who sin against me? Up to seven times? And Jesus says, I tell you, not 70, not seven times. 70 times seven. (laughs) That's more like, that's impossible. I don't even think that's wise. That's stupid. And I wonder, wonder, when he's like seven times, and he's like, you know what? It's actually 70 times seven. Like, keep continually forgiving. That's way more accurate to what forgiveness is actually like. If I called you right now to a one moment in time forgive that person. And you went, I'm going to forgive them. And you did it. The biggest challenge is tomorrow when you're like, I thought I did it. I don't feel like I did it. I still have anger. I still have, and you just have to continually do this. And you go, why do you think God does that? Two simple ways. And this may seem mean to you. I think one is for him to bring to the forefront the reality that we who judge ourselves do the same thing, to come face to face with our sin so that we come face to face with him over and over again. I'm supposed to forgive as you forgave me. And then we see his love wash over us again. How did he forgive me? He forgave me like that at that kind of cost. Who would do that? One who so loves you. One who so loves his the world that he gave his only begotten son, that whosoever believe in him wouldn't perish but have everlasting life. So that every time we struggle to forgive, we go back to God to go, how did you forgive me? And we get amazed all over again. 
we see God's glory in the face of Jesus and how he's doing this. He's loving us and he keeps loving us. And every time our conscience, our guilt, and our sin want to go, ah, you've done too much now, God goes, nope, my grace triumphs. Where sin increases, grace abounds all the more and his love keeps coming and coming and coming and coming after you. And as that happens in your soul, something happens deep down and you go, your heart grows, right? Like the Grinch, right? Your heart grows three sizes, like it just keeps growing. And now you're offering forgiveness. You're experiencing peace. You're offering forgiveness. You're experiencing peace. You're offering forgiveness. You're experiencing the peace of God. That's when you go, this is impossible. And God goes, you're right. With man, this is impossible. But with God, all things are possible. So at the core, forgiveness is a choice to be merciful and gracious, to get rid of bitterness, rage, anger, brawling, and slander. Forgiveness is an inner condition. It's the absence of bitterness. So I'm going to give you something to do as we come to the end. The first one is to acknowledge two places we haven't talked a lot about when it comes to forgiveness. We've spoken very specifically about people in your life that you know have wronged you, that have already come up in your mind multiple times. But here's two you may not have thought as explicitly about. The first one's weird, and it's kind of a theological dance, but many of you in this room need to forgive God. And I'm just going to give some examples. Some of you are in, in the room, and you've lost people really, really close to you. And to be totally honest, you're pretty bitter with God. And God's saying to those, in, in, in those moments, whatever it would be, or you're bitter at God that he allowed you to be in the situation where those people did terrible things to you. Or you're bitter with God because you know he could have done something. And in the midst of those pain and him saying, look at that, he's going, I was actually present with you and have been present with you in all of that. But you need right now to go, God, I need your help because I'm bitter with you. I'm angry with you and I don't know how because I don't even believe you sin, but I forgive you. Here's the other one. Gobs and gobs and gobs of you in here need to forgive yourself. There are dads in this room who beat yourself up because you don't think you're the dad and the husband you should be. There's moms in this room who live with an ever-present reality. I'm not the mom I should be. There are others in this room that did things in the last week that you are horrified by and you cannot forgive yourself. And the God of the universe who is perfectly holy and pristine has forgiven you and is saying to you, if I know all the stuff you did that you don't even acknowledge and I know all the stuff and the reasons why you did everything you did and I forgive you, don't hold a lack of forgiveness towards yourself. Trust my grace. Trust my love. Here's the last thing I want to say is you got to say it. I mean visibly speak it. You got to say, God, I forgive you. God, right now, in the power of Jesus and the way of the Holy Spirit, I forgive myself. Here's where it gets even more close to home. Say the name of the person that wronged you. And if it's your parent, say their first name. Frank, I forgive you. And you go, ah, oh, Frank's dead. Say it 
before God and go, God, you're the Alpha and the Omega. You existed before my dad existed and you still exist after he died. And in some mysterious way, all the dead are before your face in some way or another. I'm gonna say it and let him figure it out, but say it. Fred, I forgive you. Marsha, I forgive you. Here's the power of saying your parents' first name as you humanize them. It's one of the most mind-blowing things when Jesus is on the cross, when people have done all this stuff to him, and what he says is, Lord, forgive them. They know not what they're doing. Jesus himself so understands humanity. He so understands our mixed motives. He so understands our confusion. He's so gracious and loving that he can sit on a cross paying a penalty of a criminal of which he didn't commit one crime. And the penalty is death, his physical, emotional, spiritual anguish in what he decides to communicate his father, forgive them, they know not what they're doing. The power of saying your parents' first name is you turn them into a real person, not just the dad who wasn't the dad they should be, not just the mom who wasn't the mom they should be, a real human person who struggled just like you and who struggled just like me. But say it. We're about to come to a point of communion. What's so amazing about this moment of communion, when you sit um, right now and you look to your side or on your seat, there was this little cup, COVID cups is what I call them, COVID communion cups. And there's this little thin film. I'm going to ask you to pull back that top little clear film. And what opens to you is this cracker, which is this moment we together, in obedience of God's command, say, hey, every time we gather together, do this in remembrance of me. And this is my body. Jesus said those very words. This is my body. This body that was placed upon the cross. This body who was born into the earth, the incarnation, who experienced real tiredness, right? Real pain, real anguish, and real joys, who didn't commit a crime, but this body that was put upon the cross, this is the body we celebrate. And then when you open the next cup, he said, this is the new covenant in my blood, that when that body went on the cross, he shed his blood for the forgiveness of sin. He shed his blood for the sin of a lack of forgiveness. So the point of this message is not to make you feel guilty to wallow in your guilt of how you've sinned by not forgiving. It's to free you and to allow you to forgive. But when Jesus taught us, and Paul picks this up, about the moment that we are about to partake of, which we call the Lord's Supper or communion, he said, don't take this in an unworthy manner. Recognizing you're partaking in the very nature of God, but the way in which you recognize it is if there's somebody in the room, Paul says this, Go to 1 Corinthians. He says, if there's somebody right now in this room that you're holding bitterness, anger, rage, that you're slandering, that you're keeping a record of wrongs and you're continuing to communicate it, and they're in this room and you've not forgiven them, before you take this, go make it right. And this could be face-to-face, interpersonal. I forgive you. You may even go, I don't even know how this works or if you even acknowledge it. I just, I need to tell you right now, I forgive you for that. And you go, and you're sitting there going, thank God the person I'm thinking of is not in this room. You know what they are? Right on the other side of this. Before you partake of this, walk out there. Call them. Oh, but I think their phone is silenced. Text them. Just say it. Say it, Steve, I forgive you. 
And you go, but they're gonna go, they're gonna be so weirded out by that. Well, what did I do? I don't even know what I did. Just start there. And you go, but the person I'm holding resentment against is a parent, a grandparent, a person who died. Say it right now. God before you, you make sense of this. Say their name, I forgive you. You go, but I don't even know if I really do forgive him. Say it, confess it, and ask the Holy Spirit to flood and go, I'm not going to grieve you, Holy Spirit. I'm going to speak words of life over them and then pray their name. This is the hardest part. Pray their name and go, God bless them. God make them flourish. And trust that God knows enough to do it right. I'm going to pray. Father, I pray right now uh, that we would not grieve or quench the Holy Spirit, but that your Holy Spirit would do what we feel like right now is impossible, that you would bring about a flood of forgiveness in this room, a flood of forgiveness that's rooted in what we're about to take, that we look at you loving us in your body and in your blood shed for us for the forgiveness of our sins. God, make us a forgiving people. Do what we can't even imagine. Make us obedient to being a forgiving people. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen.